Welcome to Pursuing Call, a place where we explore what God is up to in our lives so that we can participate in God's mission for the world. Find out more at pursuingcall.com. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another week's episode of Pursuing Call with me, your host, Tamara Plummer. I am super excited to start this week um, with the laughter and joy of Kimberly Gordy, who throughout this episode will have a much quieter voice than my very loud voice on a microphone, but uh, is also able to live into her joy. We met on the first day of seminary, and uh, she has stayed a true sister friend and a rock to help me through some difficult times in life. And we walked with each other through multiple um, learning experiences and, and ways of grappling with our faith and discovering what God is up to in our lives so that we might participate in God's dream for the world. So I'm excited to have this time to speak with Kimberly. will be a two-part episode this week. Um, so get your pen and paper out. And if you happen to be hearing the, news, the music in the background, um, I really want us to figure out how to sit in the pain of this world and experience joy. And so I'm going to honor that my my super who holds down the building is having a joyful moment in the backyard working hard on a tree and um, honor the laughter and joy that Black women can have together, even when life is imperfect. And so may you find laughter and joy in this episode. See you on the back end. Well, my name is Kimberly Brianna Gordy. I'm a country girl at heart who's grown accustomed to enjoying city, but I think I'll always need both in my life. So I like the idea of navigating between settings, always having access, definitely needing to be near the water. I'm an athlete. I'm a writer. I love to dance. Um, I am good at building relationships. And that brings me fulfillment. And that's part of what has led me to this vocation of chaplaincy. I'm an aunt, I'm a godmother, I'm a daughter. Um, I'd say in some ways I'm a seeker, but I say that with the idea that I feel pretty attuned to nature and like ways that I can see and connect and feel feel the divine in like maybe um, non-traditional places and spaces. Well, that gives me clarifying questions if you're, if you don't have more. And I think I, that's a good stopping point. Yeah, please ask. Okay. Question one is, when you say you're a country girl, like, do you mean like cowboy country or do you mean river and mountains country? Um, I'm neither. I mean, rural, like the place, okay. the first house I ever lived in was a farmhouse. Okay. Um, my dad's family, my dad's parents ran a farm. When I lived there, it wasn't operable, but the long fields were still around and there was a barn on the property. And I grew up with lots of green space around me. And then the other house I lived in for most of my life was like uh, down the street from a pig farm and other farms in this small rural town where farming was the main industry. So um, flatland, open space, fields is the type of country I mean that will always feel nostalgic for me. Mm -hmm. 
And I also grew up like less than 20 miles from the Atlantic Ocean. Mm. So less rivers, more like body of water, go to the beach. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, I love that your middle name is Brianna. I didn't know that. Oh, look at us sharing new information. Mm -hmm. New information. You called yourself a seeker. What are you looking for? Um, I'd say I'm always looking for ways that God shows up. Way things that things to marvel at, things to wonder. Because in our hustle and bustle, in our busyness, in our going about our tasks, it's way too easy for us to forget to connect, to forget to breathe, to forget to just like pause and appreciate. Mm -hmm. And I would have to say that during the pandemic is when that really came alive for me. The anxiety that I felt about not knowing about like what COVID was or if it was going to get me or people I loved um, caused me to pause to like breathe and to just go outside and recognize what a difference the sun shining on my face, you know, made for calming me down and feeling um, like God heard and knew my concerns and like sent a breeze to make help me feel better, right? Mm -hmm. Like I could make that up, but it also happened enough that it f helped me feel connected, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say I was, I'm seeking um, ways that God shows up in creation and in our surroundings um, in ways that help us marvel and wonder and deepen our communion and connection with the divine. Um, there are two things that I wanna pull on is one is you talked about being anxious, but you are the calmest human I know. <laughs> Has that all been a lie? Uh, no, it hasn't. I mostly am. I do consider myself rather static emotionally. Like I can get excited, but it takes a lot for me to get angry. Um, I feel like I'm also not very often sad. Um, <laughs> and one of the things I'm working on and have been working on in therapy is the, the ways I've built up protection for myself against disappointment. So, um, it's not a lie, but at the very start of the pandemic, like when I left New York in March of 2020, not not knowing if I'd be back in two weeks or two months or two years, mm -hmm. those especially those first few months were very, uh, like because of the pandemic, but also we were dealing with like the peak of black people being killed by the police um, mm -hmm. in, in our lifetime at least. Uh, so there was a lot of grief, a lot of wondering, a lot of fear, because I was in a rural area that's pretty conservative. And even mm. though it's a close knit black community and there's, you know, it's it's not just black and white, but it's mostly black and white demographics where I was. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there was, you know, some fear about Trumpers and. Mm -hmm what what might happen you know to the extent that not that i'm against firearms but i never seriously considered owning one or you know getting permits and because i was living with my mom um that became a very real consideration mm. so those kinds of fears and the emboldening that people had around difference like for not wanting to be unified and not being sure how far that might go in the area where I was, nor how long I would be there, plus the health concerns with COVID and exposure. Um, yeah, all combined with like something we'd never experienced in our life before. Mm -hmm. 
And thankfully, I was in a safe, secure home filled with love with a person that I loved. But naturally, there's some aspects of wanting to protect myself and my mother. So yeah, there was a lot of emotions explored and a lot more prayers lifted up than previous periods. Yeah, what's the ways that you felt, like what were your strategies for alleviating anxiety? Yeah, so I um, was able to structure my days such that seven to 9 a.m. was like my time. Mm-hmm. Um, that in, off that included things like because of a class that you and I were in together, going mm-hmm. to uh, a nearby waterway to meditate for at least thirty minutes, or exercising outside, or just doing some writing exercises. Like I started doing this thing called morning pages throughout the that time, the spring of twenty twenty, into that? the fall and winter. So the morning pages is by this old older artist named Julia Cameron. I'm not sure. I don't think she's still living, but I'm not sure. Um, and it's for me, it was a benefit to just pour my thoughts on the page in the aspect of decluttering my mind every morning. I think the like so the intent for artists is to help with their creativity and unblock them for their work. And it's been adapted in other ways as a journaling technique. Um, and for me, the benefit was decluttering. So sometimes, some days I started out doing like filling three pages in the journal and other days, like eventually that got to be too much. Like that would take me an hour sometimes, mm-hmm. which may mean I wasn't doing it quite right. Cause you're supposed to just write, you know, judgment free writing for yourself. Um, but eventually I, I convinced it to just a 20 minute practice every morning. And that literally I felt like time expanded throughout the day. Once I had done that, I felt calmer I felt more in tune and like integrated within my body um like body mind and spirit um this is why you're a chaplain (laughs) uh and sometimes if I didn't go to the water to meditate or I didn't exercise even if I just wrote or even if I didn't write the backyard at my mom's house has a gazebo that I made my outdoor office. Um, I remember the gazebo. A lot of people saw me on Zoom out there, and that's where a lot of uh, a lot of calm settled in as well. Like just being outside, hearing the birds, feeling the breezes, watching the sun and clouds shift throughout the day in the sky, were all things that helped me feel a lot more calm. And no, just have a sense of like peace about whatever was coming, honestly. So part of why I wanted to interview you is because since the moment that I met you, it is clear to me that you are a chaplain. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That first conversation with that teacher? Oh, girl, you are such a chaplain. You are so going to be like my death doula Um, that. Like, I was like, oh, she'll be my death doula. Got it. Wendy will change my catheter. You will be my death doula. It's going to be great. Um, I'm honored. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for it. Uh, <laughs> the not to come soon, but, you know, at some right. point. Um, we both are in New York City, so I just want to honor that there are sirens going. And as we talk about pandemic, I am reflecting on the fact that we might be in a surge and then everyone is freaking out every time we hear more sirens than we used to. Um, But what is, I'm trying to imagine like baby Kimberly (laughs) and her faith journey to this place of calm, 
Like you didn't turn to two boxes of wine a day at your, <laughs> not that I did too. I was not that bad, but yeah. How, how do we, how do we get here? Okay. <laughs> uh, I have to think because it's not something I've thought about before. What was your like spiritual home, your religious base that you had as a kid? I mean, I have been told that I was always a different kind of kid, right? Like mm -hmm. more mature, more poised, handled more responsibility, was able to. So in some ways I can look back and say like, I've always had a, a, a larger capacity than maybe the, the average person or, you know, other people around me. And some of that was because that was modeled for me and my mother, you know, and the village that supported her raising me um, she was a leader in education in her community. She was a breast cancer survivor. And so it was nothing for, it, it became second nature for me to know that she would mentor people when the other women, when they found out they had breast cancer or a mm -hmm. cancer diagnosis or support other people's family members who were going through something like that. So she was, she herself was offering pastoral care well before she became like into the training process in her denomination to become an actual pastor. Um, so with her plus, you know, other women in my family, um, both my mom's side and my dad's side, I mean, I feel like it was inherent, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I earned some of it, it's in my DNA and it, it oozed out around me and a lot of it, um, manifested in them being educators and led me to what I, what I describe as being a non-traditional educator for a lot of it. But to get back to your question about spiritual home, um, yeah, those influences in who raised me and the setting that I was raised in, right? So I grew up in my conscious memory as a little person, like six years old and up in a very small town that was a village that raised me and, you know, parents interacted with their kids' friends and, uh, we played sports together from first grade all the way through graduation um, and the, both, you know, for our school teams and in the community, like recreation on recreation and parks teams before we got to organize sports for our schools. Um, but you're not like a church nerd in. I, I think I was. That's what I was just starting to think about that, like we went to a united methodist church in my hometown for a little while and then we started going to an amy zion church and like this the city near where i grew up mm -hmm. um at a certain point and i remember being like 13 or 14 and like intently listening to sermons I was always drawn to public speaking. Some of that is because of watching my mom and others is because of, I guess, like abilities that my mom and other people recognized in me that had me enter like oratory contests a little bit and led me to leadership stuff, even in middle school, like I was SG president. <laughs> I was such a nerd. Um, and uh, so I was always drawn to like the flow of the sermon and how people responded and the, you know, what we know now is hermeneutical techniques and practices that the preacher at my church or other preachers would invoke. And also the feeling, I was in some conversation recently that helped me realize that 
Um, even though you know we all have critiques of church and black church especially and that may not be a part a regular part of our spiritual practices in this stage of adulthood I can never deny the way it feels to be back in black church and like when that organ starts playing or when familiar songs or like the choir starts singing in harmonies or um, even though if someone starts the announcements and those phrases that we all know um, come up it's like it'll make us smile or roll our eyes or shake our heads or whatever those things are embedded in us and that feels good and yes it's churchy and it's spiritual but it's also black it's also black culture mm -hmm. and rooted in blackness and mm -hmm. i think that rang true for me in ways that i hadn't realized before um it makes yeah that's a lot of sense to what my values are now in terms of community go ahead None of that, that was making me reflect on, um, I had the best Good Friday. I have had a long time since I've had a good Good Friday. And I, but I was at a white church. And the only reason I go to Good Friday is for one, the veneration of the cross. So I get to like lay some stuff at the, the cross. And that was amazing. But it's to saying, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And just in a white church context, it just didn't hit the right. Like I just tried to block out the whiteness around me, tried. but I really did. But then this white man was just singing so loud and not well and not mm. slow enough because they were dirging, which annoys me, but it was white. Like it was just, I was like, this is the only reason why I was, I wish I had gone to a black church, but I feel like the black church people these days really love doing the seven last words. And I hate doing seven last words. I'm like, we have a liturgy. Let's just do the damn liturgy. But <laughs> this is how much of a church nerd I was. Seven last words was my favorite service. In really? And into my 20s. Yeah. How did you survive? I can't do the seven sermons. I can't do it. I mean, most some of it was like, OK, what's the is there going to be a different approach to this same scripture, mm. the same phrase? And then I forget when or how old I was, but I start probably when I was around Baltimore, people started doing the like five minute sermons or five to seven minute ones. Mm. So that was like mm -hmm. a little exciting and also, um, you know, something interesting about it. Yeah, I can. I, that was the but that, that black like I was like remembering, yes, we are Episcopalians, but we still were black church in our own ways <laughs> and like just you know black people saying were you there when they crucified my lord just hits different <laughs> mm -hmm. it does hit different so yeah, yeah. that's what i was thinking about when you were talking sorry to stop you from talking continue <laughs> on so black identity religion are intersected for you and i know that yes black church has its complications many of us have already listened to or read red lip theology and you should just do that if you want to explore why. Um, yes. But I don't know what my question was. It went away. She'll bring it back. Yeah. I was also realizing as I reflect on like what I remember about growing up as a tween and teenager in the same church that I was, I was a little, I was quiet and shy until I was like 16. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, like I started doing, I did some poetry. I was older than that, actually. I was had to be, I remember thinking like 16, they asked me to like do a workshop for a women's day and I did mm -hmm. it. And um, when I came back from freshman year of college, I started doing spoken words. So I performed some pieces like walking barefoot down the center aisle of the church. Um, oh, so college student times. <laughs> 
particularly around 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The Erica Bonji Bohemian mm-hmm. influence. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I think, I think as I, I think the quiet shy piece partially came from being around a lot of adults mm-hmm. and like, just like listening and respecting the boundaries between adults and children and becoming like an observer right? Mm. Like a natural sociologist. That might be one of the earliest influences that I can connect to. Um, And I had questions and I probably talked about those questions with my mom and our car rides when I was growing up. Um, But I think it, those, some of those influences like are what made me a thinker as well as like my own enjoyment of knowledge and like under building understanding of things. Um, you know, that's part of what drew me to like deaf poetry jam, the mm-hmm. ways that people articulate their experiences uh, and other ways of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the poem that it was barefoot walking down the aisle? <laughs> no. It might have been something about um, remembering love in the lives of my family, but I don't, mm-hmm. I have it printed somewhere, but I don't think I can remember remember how it starts I love it so you are an artist you are an athlete and you are a thinker Mm -hmm. how do those things converge in what you're feeling called to do and be as a chaplain great question well the thinker piece uh, makes me intrigued about what makes other people tick or what what other people need the creative piece I think makes will allow me to integrate um, other ways for people to connect with their creativity and it's something as simple as like I'm a quotes person so both scripture and quotes like I will have at the ready to share with people for different situations or it'll bring them to mind that I can share with people and also loving to read um, and being really intrigued. I mean, I don't know the last time I read a fiction book. I do, it was a few, it was earlier this semester and it was Elizabeth Acevedo's YA books um, with the fire on high and the poet X and those were to balance out the other heavy stuff I was reading. Mm -hmm. But other than that, uh, my pleasure reads for years have been like nonfiction and biography stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not like a history reader, but I love to read someone's story. And then the athlete part, um, in my in my work, it, it makes me integrate embodiment and like try to get people to, to drop into their bodies and what they're feeling, but certainly with care because our, uh, many of our trauma survivors, that's not a good thing or we just have to be careful with that. But there's also so much say to more about, about that? in the body. About trauma survivors? The trauma, says trauma survivors body knowledge yeah, I would just say that, like, for me, it's natural to to want to um, dance for expression or stretch to like under to to because it feels good, but also to like hone it. If I were leading some kind of grounding or a meditation, I might like suggest a stretch posture and then encourage people to think about the circulation moving through their body or think about Mm. how the blood running through their veins connects to the muscles or you know something Mm -hmm. like that but i it's important to be aware that i can do that because i feel safe in my body Mm. and not everyone feels safe in their body and so how can i delicately approach that or 
well, you know, provide other options um, if I am leading something like a meditation or a grounding um, that may not, you know, because even breathing sometimes can raise, uh, activate someone's nervous system when, when you're not intending to. Mm-hmm. Have, so you already did, so I'm going ahead, but I want to go back. So you went to Goucher. I did. And you studied biologia biologia e religion just biology no i didn't have a minor biology was enough and i played basketball so that was also enough that's a lot (laughs) so how did you end up taking kbd's class because because she's um adult black professor but i will say the very first class i took with her divine intervention like i was this first year writing seminar and we got to choose from a variety of topics. And guess what the title of the one I chose was? Have I told you this before? Mm-mm. Images of Church and God in Black Literature. Oh. And she taught that. And we read um, a James Baldwin book. I think it was Gotella on the Mountain. Mm-hmm. I remember we read Ann Petrie's The Street. And there were at least two other books, but I can't remember. But mm-hmm. for my, my final presentation in that class, I did a thing on spoken word and like I spat one of my poems and showed a video of a Mary Baraka on Deaf Poetry Jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so also- after after that, that like I signed up for any other class with her I could. Like I think I took her at least once a year. Kelly Brown Douglas is who we're talking about, just because mm-hmm. we should be clear. That's Shout who. out to the very reverend The Dr. very reverend Doctor Dean Dean Doctor Reverend. <laughs> We don't matter the order as long as we get them both in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kelly Brown Douglas. Um, it is interesting to me that I've asked you multiple questions about spirituality and faith, and you have mentioned secular spaces mm-hmm. as your response. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you pulled that out because it's not. Or traditionally thought of as secular spaces. They are not necessarily secular. Yeah. I mean, I think to me that speaks to like what I, if I could say, like the deep communion that I have with God, mm-hmm. but that's, that's also hindsight that it feels like since the pandemic, I have the, a deeper assurance that God is in me and within and with me, wherever I go, like I carry God and that presence with me. Um, and that's less dependent on having to go to a place or have connection to a person who can facilitate that for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, but that's also a personal journey, right? That's been one of my critiques of church. Like, why do we put pastors on pedestals? They're humans too. Yes, they mm-hmm. have larger responsibility and they, many of them, not all, many of them have an anointing <laughs> that distinguishes <laughs> them. Um, <clears throat> but like, I know that there are some people that need that. And I mm-hmm. think I, for whatever reasons, I am or I have become one that doesn't need to depend on that. And there are ways, you know, there's plus and minuses to everything. Um, but yeah, I love that observation that the my faith journey, especially in adulthood, has not has grown beyond dependence on a particular place or space or type of place or space, um, especially with like my love of nature that I can see and feel god yeah this this some stuff i wrote um that i'm trying to get published so any publishers out there holla um have a are are kind of i guess kind of evidence of like 
during the pandemic, especially ways that in those med that those meditative moments by the bay, um, that I felt God's presence with me as assuredly as I did in any moment of catching the Holy Spirit in a church. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And also the embracing of like African cosmologies and respect and deep appreciation and admiration for other indigenous, um, spiritual practices like Muharisa theology and things of that nature. Um, you know, I embrace that the division, so-called division between sacred and secular is man-made. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not something we have to embrace at all. And I think that's a thing that's changing for a lot of people within our generation, even though I'm your auntie, cause I'm five, four years older, four years older than you. <laughs> um, that there has been a shift for, I think a lot of people, particularly when you couldn't go into a building, right? Like there was, there was no option for, for a while. Um, but I think for a while, pre-pandemic, there was a lot of conversation with my peers about how much the divine did not resonate in the building as much as they would like it to. And so having to create or find other spaces that might be even considered secular spaces where God felt more present or more connective for them. Yeah. Even in people, like mm -hmm. in, in interact, not random, but like interactions where God can show up, which I had an experience about recently, which I'd like to tell you about. Please tell me. Please tell me. Well, I was on this. Um, I'm going to speak vaguely because I don't know if the people that I experienced this with like want me to tell this story publicly, mm -hmm. but I was on this trip and um, we were having a conversation and there had been talk about like, we should all like write something we want to leave behind from this mm -hmm. point forward, which evolved into um, put doing so, but writing it down, putting it in a fire and then also like some moon gazing because it happened mm -hmm. to be a full moon. And um, as we did that intentionally offered it into the fire, someone among us also read, had a spigot tarot card and then did a reading for us. Mm -hmm. And each, each person went in turn, like put the, your thing into the fire, pick a card, have the reading, and then we would continue around. And when it came to my turn, first of all, what I wrote gained some specificity from when I first wrote it to like conversation about our, our process and um, right before I put it in the fire. And it was also a personal reflection about like, can I actually do this? Can I actually let this thing go? Mm -hmm. But the decision, like the internal decision to do it, plus I believe certainly the like support of the ancestors, I know there's been a change and it's, you know, it's only been three or four days, but it already feels different. And I'm not going to speak on what that thing was because mm -hmm. it is about leaving it in the past. But um, the reading was all about forward movement, mm -hmm. which, you know, feels like I felt like an affirmation and knowing that I'm about to graduate and I do have a, you know, uh, I'm like 85 percent sure I have a job awaiting me. And um, some of the other things that are just coming, like having space to transition, having the summer off after completing a degree is such a blessing and something that I um, almost didn't hold on to. Mm -hmm. And so 
but also some of the other longings that I have. Like, yes, I have X, Y, Z in check and plan, ready to, you know, locked and loaded coming. Mm -hmm. And then there are also things that are I don't yet see that are hard to navigate sometimes. And this reading spoke directly to all of that, and I couldn't do anything but cry. Mm-hmm. And it was also a good moment for me to practice vulnerability with these people that I'm, you know, in community with, building relationships with and deepening relationships with. And with that vulnerability, like good practice for me to let go of some mm-hmm. things that I usually hold in. Hmm. So that was my Friday. That was my good Friday. I just literally my prayer. I don't even know what I was letting go, but I just walked up to the cross. I put my hand on the wood and I said, take it, Jesus, just take it. Mm, yeah. I don't know what the it is, but it's a lot of shit. <laughs> right. You need to take it. And I was like, oh, okay. it, it like felt, felt immediately, immediately. Like, oh, it was almost like Jesus was like, yeah, I got you. Oh, yeah. oh. What like I, was, I don't know I, why like, you I was, was just waiting on you. Like I was just waiting <laughs> on you to step into that and let it go. Yeah. Like, nobody asked you to carry what you've been carrying. Girl. Nobody <laughs> asked you. <laughs> Talk about it. Mm. Oh, my, my family's been having uh one of my family members is ill and the other and we've all had to like navigate caring for this person and that's brought up all the, you know, usual family trauma of trying to care for each other and everyone's trying to solve it. And it, I think that was one of the big things is like, I get to do my part. And then the rest is up to the divine presence to, to, to move the spirit to move in that person to do their part. But I can't make people do stuff, which just feels like a life lesson that I've been trying to. Yeah, that's my therapy that I, I've allegedly worked on. <laughs> Give up the, the conclusion of the story. Um. All I know, but I did realize the one conclusion of the story that I know is true is that the Lord is risen. Mm-hmm. There's an empty tomb and I cannot look, look for the living among the dead. That was the one that stuck out for me from Easter. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of the story. So we know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just am really having anxiety about all the middle, but I just gave it to Jesus because fuck it. I ain't got no, I got, I, I, I can't carry it anymore. The bag has broken my back. So not mine to carry. Um, I'm going to write down a note because I need to make sure that you have seen, uh, speaking of the value of black culture, mm-hmm. make sure you've seen a Twitter thread of gifts of like, the, the tweet was um, in meme or gifts only, if you were Jesus who had risen from the tomb, how would you walk up into place? How would you walk <laughs> out the tomb? <laughs> Child, when I tell you there's one that I just watch every morning since I've seen it because it helps me start off on the right in the right mindset and with a kick cackle. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's gonna love you're gonna love it. Um I'm I'm excited. Part of me part of me feels like I wanna do I'm obsessed with all the baby videos that are like, play this and see what happens to your child. And it's the get it, get it, get it. <laughs> so I like imagine like a little baby like having a good time at the club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the ones that are play the sound and see what your pet does. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I'm glad that we had that tangent. <laughs> Sorry to take you there. The uh, We were talking about letting things go and going into the future. So, but part of the hard part about letting things go, it's the, 
releasing and not, and yet keeping the, like, how do you release and keep the lesson that you learned is the part that I'm, I'm realizing that I sometimes struggle with. Like, how do I release the pain of the thing, but keep the blessing that was formed out of the thing that I'm trying to let go of? Like, sometimes I feel like I need to whip myself to remember that it hurts. And that's not actually a thing that's helpful. And here we are going to take a pause. As I said, sometimes I have a hard time letting go of the hard parts because I think that it will stop me from learning a lesson. Kimberly is not that way. That girl is very spiritually healthy. That woman is very spiritually healthy. So she um, will come back next week and talk about the ways that she doesn't have to, she's, she, she realizes that um, her way of engaging the painful parts of the world might be a little bit different than other people. She actually sits in it and does like healthy spiritual practices to walk through the pains of the world. And so come back next time to hear more about Kimberly's journey um, in holding space for people going through hard things. And that includes holding space for herself. Uh, I'll see you next time. In the meantime, maybe do something kind to yourself and for yourself. See you next time. Drink your water. Take your meds. Uh, don't hurt other people. Breathe just a little bit. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Pursuing Call. I can't wait to hear about how you are exploring God's voice so that you can participate in God's mission and dream for our world. Send your email and comments to Tamara at PursuingCall.com. That's T-A-M-A-R-A at P-U-R-S-U-I-N-G-C-A-L-L dot com. You can also visit PursuingCall.com to learn more about what I'm exploring and envisioning and thinking about. Thank you so much and have a wonderful and beautiful day. Go in peace to love and serve.